the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday program. That means we made another week. Nothing terrible happened. I don't think I messed up really, really bad. So we're here again on Friday to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 o'clock, we have the honor of doing this radio show. We get to talk to you. You get to... I hope, get some answers to the questions that you're dealing with, and we would love to have more of that today. Before we get started, let me give you the phone numbers to call, 340-9585 for your live calls. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also send questions in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the KSLR free mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio at the radio station and they will put you through. So all of that just so that you can ask questions and hopefully get your answers. Before we get started, I want to give a special shout out to Doug Bennett. Uh, he has been uh, one of our, our really, really helpers uh, at the studio at KSLR. Today is his last day at the studio. Doug, we've enjoyed uh, being with you and working with you, and you have been a real, real blessing to us. And we're going to miss you. God bless you, and I trust that he will do that very, very thing. Hey, because it's Friday tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we're going to close out the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 through the end of the chapter. And it's about people, so it's one of my favorite Bible studies to do. It's a fun Bible study to do. And uh, tonight I get the the privilege of sharing that here at Calvary Chapel. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. Uh, if you want to live stream it, we'd love to have you come and visit and meet some of the greatest people in the world. I'm also going to be finishing up in Romans chapter 6 on Sunday. Uh, Wherever it is that you go to church, find somebody to love, find somebody to pray for. Don't just go and sit down, but look for people. Ask the Lord for one of those divine appointments. Jesus, who needs to be loved? Who needs to be encouraged? How can I be used for your glory today? It will change your church experience exponentially if you'll just give it a try. It is an amazing thing that happens when you begin to experience the power of God working in you and working through you. Okay, having said that, let's just get to some questions. We'd love your live calls, so we'll wait for those. Here's a question from Drew, and he says, uh, this is from our mobile app, were all angels created with free will? Uh, The answer is yes, Drew, but not like humans. You know, this is sort of the principle of to whom much is given, much is required. And the idea there is always much more is required. The angels who were in the presence of God, the angels who saw, the angels who, who, who heard God and, and lived in his presence, they were accountable. So the angels, at some point in time past, the angels were given a once-for-always opportunity to choose. Now, the instrument that was used, of course, was Lucifer. We know him as the devil or Satan. 
And Lucifer fell. He wanted to be like God, no longer content to be God's greatest and most beautiful creation. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be above God. I will cast my throne above the throne of the Most High. So the idea is when he rebelled, he tried to influence the other angels in heaven. Now, obviously, those angels, I'm speaking from an earthly perspective, but obviously those angels would have uh, a, a, an admiration for him. He was more powerful than all, except perhaps Michael. Uh, he, he was the most beautiful and, and the brightest of God's creation. He convinced a third of the angels to fall with him. We call those demons now, or fallen angels. And so we have a two-thirds angels who kept their first estate, one-third who, who left their first estate. But they made that choice, but for them, unlike for you and for me, Drew, it's a one-time only choice. They don't have another opportunity. That means the two-thirds of the angels who stayed with God are going to be with him forever. The ones who fell have no opportunity to come back. Uh, they fell forever and will be, uh, eventually, they'll find themselves in the lake of fire. So I hope that answers your question. What's really important about that question for Drew and for everybody else is that we have free will. And you know what? Just because I'm a pastor, I've got a pastor's heart, I'm going to beg you today, if you're not saved in this audience, to exercise your free will to choose eternal life. If you are a believer and you've been disappointing God. You've been away from Him. You find yourself in willful rebellion. You know it's wrong, but you're doing it anyway. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to beg you to choose to use your free will to make the right choice, to repent and confess and give our Jesus the opportunity to purify you from all unrighteousness. Forgiven, forgotten, but all you have to do is ask. 340-9585. Here's another mobile app question from Rich. He says, what advice would you give a man who senses that he's called to be a pastor and plant a church? Rich, um, we've talked about this with regard to uh, the general calling of pastor many times, uh, but, but the, the, the most obvious counsel is that treasure the calling. Uh, I told the church here, and I can't remember whether it was last Sunday or Wednesday night, but I told the church here at Calvary Chapel that there are three things, three titles, three honors in my life that are really, really special. The first is that I'm, I'm honored to be a Christian, to be called by that name. It is the greatest privilege of my life to be called by Jesus and to be called one of his followers. The second honor that I have is that I'm honored to be called Paula's husband. You have no idea how much fun my house is. You have no idea how much joy she brings to our house. And she did that even d during those 13 years she was praying for me to get saved. When I wasn't Pastor Ron, I was Ron the Jerk. But the third greatest honor in my life is to be the pastor here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I'm crazy about the people here. I love them with all of my heart. And God, at least in some spiritual sense, has placed the care of those people that he loves so much into my hands. And I want to honor him. So if you sense a calling to be a pastor, recognize the privilege and the position. Don't, make, don't think it makes you better than somebody else. But recognize that it's an honor. Something to be pursued. He who seeks the office of overseer, that's what we would call a pastor, desires a noble thing. It's a good thing. So pursue it. Secondly, study. Devour your Bible. Know it inside and out. Make it your hobby. Make it your passion. When I knew I was called to be a pastor, now I did it before I was called to be a pastor, but remember I was only six months old in the Lord when I first heard the call to be a pastor. I'd spend 8 to 10, 12 hours a day sometimes in my Bible. Now, I realize that's not for everybody. But it better be for you if you're called to be a pastor. If you don't enjoy studying, if you don't enjoy reading, well, then you need to get on board. Because you're going to be charged with the spiritual health of God's people. You are responsible to teach the truth. And because it's such a privilege, you've got to devour your Bible. The third thing is you've got to love God's people. 
you can't be short with them. You can't get angry with them. You, you can't uh, want to be away from them. I had a friend of mine one time, he asked me, he said, so, Pastor Ron, to be a pastor, do you have to love people? The answer is, yeah, you do. So you have to share Jesus' heart. And that's going to happen as you transform your mind continually in the Word of God. The last thing I would say is pray for the people or the area where you're going to plan the church. Fall in love with people specifically. What, what, what will happen is God will begin to give you direction. He'll begin to give you vision for your church. And I left out maybe a really, really important one that I want to share with you now. Make sure that your wife isn't just being dragged along behind you because you're called. She's your partner in this ministry and you're going to need her. So make sure she's on board and don't move anything until you're on board. I'm sorry. Until you're on board together. When Paul and I left for Texas, I told her we weren't going. I knew what God had called me to do. But we weren't going until we could go together in complete agreement. And had we not done that, Rich, what would have happened is we wouldn't have lasted six months. It's an honor and a privilege. God bless you for that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, the phones have been a little bit quiet this week, so maybe we can break that today and carry that momentum on to next week. It's always a better program if you participate. Here is an anonymous question. If we confess our sin, are we forgiven if we continue in that sin? Anonymous, the word confess. First uh, John 1, if you confess your sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you. But the word confess means to agree with God that it's sin. So if you're confessing your sin but continuing in it, well, then you're not being honest. If you confess, it's to agree. It's not just saying the words. It's having a heart that says, I blew it. I'm so sorry, God. I hate my sin. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, gouge it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. He didn't mean that literally, but, but he was giving a very vivid picture of just how viciously, how aggressively we're supposed to deal with our sin. So if you confess your sin and your heart is right, yes, you're forgiven. If you slip into your sin and you still hate it, then you're forgiven. But if you sin and then just say, oh, God, I'm sorry, I did it, and then you find yourself doing it again soon, and you keep repeating that process, well, then, Anonymous, you need to really check your heart to see whether or not you really do belong to God. You know, when we take a very shallow or narrow view of what the Bible says, when we don't really dig in and study to show ourselves approved, we read passages like, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you're saved. And we think it's just words. The Holy Spirit says nobody can say Lord, Lord, except as the Holy Spirit prompts him, well, we can all form the word Lord, we can all say it, but we can't say it with meaning, with depth. And it's very important, Anonymous, that you mean what you say. One of the things I tell our church here all the time is that God takes everything that we say very seriously. If we call Jesus Lord, then he's going to make life difficult until we're acting as though he's Lord. If we confess our sins, I know it's wrong, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, but we keep doing it, he's going to make that difficult for you. And he does it not because he wants to punish, but because he loves you. And he wants to put you in a safe place, moving you from this dangerous place where, where all you have to do, or at least you, your perception of all you have to do, is to say, oh, I'm sorry, God. Judas was sorry, but he didn't repent. Peter, when he denied the Lord was sorry and he repented. That's the difference. God knows your heart. He will not be deceived. So if you confess your sin, the way to be forgiven is to stop sinning. Hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to the phones. Phyllis calling on line one. Phyllis, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. Phyllis, are you there? We got some phone problems, maybe. 
uh, at the studio. If, if that gets fixed, let me know. We'd love to. Phyllis, Phyllis, if you can hear me, hang on. We'll get to you as soon as we possibly. Okay, she said try again. Let's see. Phyllis, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Nope. We're having some problems. Let's try to. Oh, there you are, Phyllis. Welcome to the show. Pray you and Paula well. I'm glad to get through. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I had a, a few questions. I've been really, really studying these Old Testaments, and, and I know you can help me out here. It, it was in Genesis 32 when uh, Jacob was wrestling with God. Um, I was try- just trying to see, was that like more of a spiritual wrestle or a physical wrestle? And then uh, another question I had was, when he went to live with uh, Rebecca's brother and worked for, uh, I think you pronounce it, Laban, or he worked Le- for Le-Ban. him for about, Le-Ban. He worked, mm-hmm. uh, he worked for him for about seven years, and then uh, I guess Laban was supposed to give his, his daughter away to him for marriage, uh, Leah, but uh, the text said he liked Rachel, that I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question on there, Looks like Laban deceived him, and I think it's because of a payback for what he did. Esau, I might be wrong, but I'm just kind of <laughs> speculating here. But if you can, um, you know, let me know about those two, I would really appreciate it. And thank you so much. And tell Paula thank hello. You. I'll do it. She's listening, so oh. you just did. God bless you. Thank you God very, bless very you much. Thank uh, you. Let me ask, and. Let me answer the second question first about Laban and Jacob. You know, Jacob is a con man. I used to to tell people, you know, no matter how tough you are, there's always somebody tougher. Well, Jacob was a master con man, but he was nothing compared to Laban. And so Laban had two daughters. The oldest daughter uh, had to be married first. Uh, He wanted, she was the one who was... um, Relatively speaking, I don't want to be considered insensitive here, but relatively speaking, she was less attractive. Uh, and, and if she was going to get married, then Laban took matters into his own hands. And so he deceived um, Jacob. Just that simple. He he went into his wife in an oriental culture in that time. Uh, she'd have been covered head to toe, and the man would have gone into his wife. And it wouldn't be until after the fact, after the the. the marriage was consummated, that uh, he would remove the veils and find out that he'd been taken for a ride. He loved Rachel. Uh, Leah, he ended up tolerating, but he loved Rachel. And uh, Laban's whole point there was, well, I want both of my daughters married. Um, and the reason he also wanted to trick him was because he wanted uh, Jacob to stick around for longer. At that particular point in Jacob and Laban's relationship, uh, Laban knew that he was blessed because of Jacob, because of the blessing of God that rested on Jacob. So he just wanted to maneuver him to another seven-year commitment, and that's what he did. Now, he didn't have to wait seven years to marry Rachel. He got to marry her right away, but he had to make the commitment to remain with them another seven years. So virtually the entire time they were married, save for just a a, a few days, um, he was married to two women. Of course, that's never a good idea. Uh, Genesis chapter 32, Phyllis, is uh, one of my life chapters. Um, Jacob is wrestling with God. He says, uh, I will not let go until you bless me as he's holding on. And that's actually something that I say every single day when I begin my walk with the Lord. And I do it in a physical sense. Now, he really was wrestling with Jesus. Uh, It was a physical wrestling match, as noted by the fact that just as Jesus was going to let go of him, he touched his hip and he crippled him. And he crippled him physically. He walked with a limp the rest of his days. This was a very real physical wrestling match. Jesus appearing as the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ on earth. But he took on human form and he wrestled with him, um, wrestled the will out of Jacob is what the point was. So it's a very real, very physical wrestling match. And he was wrestling with Jesus himself. Hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Bruce calling from Seguin online to Bruce. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Good afternoon to everyone. Got a Good question. to hear from you, Bruce. I got two questions for you. Uh, 
is there a scripture somewhere that says that the heart of a man can be so hard that the Holy Spirit cannot pen- penetrate it? Or am I am I making that up in my mind? Nope. The 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 scriptures there are are most notably dealing with Pharaoh's hardened heart. Um, so we have an example of that very thing happening. There's not a specific verse that says that, but uh, people's hearts, when they continue to sin, they get so hard. In fact, in Pharaoh's case, he hardened his heart seven times against God, and then God let him alone with his heart. Now, only God, Bruce, knows that point of no return. Um, we don't know when that is, nor can we guess, nor will God give us any insight. But honestly, I have looked into people's hearts that have sinned against God so long and so hard that they no longer care. And when we get to that point, uh, we're told uh, in the Gospel accounts that that's when we've cre- we have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We've rejected the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing us to God. And uh, at that point, we become uh, so hard in our hearts that we don't want anything to do with God. And at that point, our fate is sealed. But only God knows when that time is. That help? No. Yes, sir. That helps. Uh, I have three daughters that have walked away from the Lord, and uh, it's been for over a decade in each case. And uh, I'm still praying for them, yep. and I will as long as I have breath of life in me. My other question: uh, somewhere in Genesis, there is a very messianic foresight about. Jesus Christ, uh, there, there is uh, slaughtered animals laying on the ground, and the essence of God walks between those animals. Could you tell me where that is at and explain it to me? Yeah, I, I can. I would uh, appreciate it, and I'll I can do uh, let, you, let you go until uh, another time. Thank okay, you very thanks, much. Bruce. Good to hear from you again, my friend. It's been a long time. Uh, Genesis 15, um, um, if, if my chapter reference is wrong, I'll get corrected here in a moment. But it's when uh, Abraham is, is uh, committing everything to the Lord, and he offers God a sacrifice. He cuts the animal in half. He spreads it. Remember, the vultures come, and they try to uh, eat the, the sacrifice, and he spends the whole night chasing him away, and God actually passes by, passes through. That's when God made the covenant with Abraham, and that meant that every promise that God ever made to Abraham had to be fulfilled. God, who could swear by no one greater than himself, so he swore by himself. He passed through Abraham's offering, and and he did that in the blaze of fire, consumed the offering, and that Abrahamic covenant was set in stone. That's why we know, Bruce, that the enemy is coming back. I mean, the, uh, the that Jesus is coming back. It is Genesis chapter 15. Thank you very much. Um, one other thing, Bruce, as long as God's got your daughters on your heart to pray, they haven't committed that sin. Their heart isn't that hard, so keep on praying. Thanks a lot. Let's go to David calling on line one. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I have a couple of things to say real quick. Uh, one, for the, I know that this week there's been a few phone calls about people asking her, how do you know that the Lord's calling you to the ministry and, and so on? Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to say that I served in the ministry, my wife and I did, and uh, you said something very important earlier about make sure your wife is, is with you on that yes. walk and that calling, and, and you're right, that's that's extremely important. Uh, we served for 19 years in both uh, children's ministry and youth ministry. Um, I served on, uh, on the side of town that was really, really tough uh, with the youth for about eight years, and uh, the Lord gave me the heart to minister one-on-one, and then the Lord moved us to a really, really big church here in town, and we did the children's ministry for another nine years, and the Lord showed me how to minister to a group of kids from five to twelve, and it was the most wonderful 19 years of my life. And it was very, very, very difficult. We broke in our house so many times because we were always at church. When I kept telling the Lord, Lord, they're breaking in your house. They're breaking in your house. What are you going to do something about that? 
is, uh, sure, it was my house, but ultimately it's his house. And um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that for those two ministries that I served in, the uh, children and the youth, my, my wife was completely with me. And uh, the last year she was not because she really got burned out, and I asked her to step down. And the Lord provided some youth to help me the last year that I was there. And um, But in both of those callings, I fought the ministry. In other words, I didn't want to be in the ministry. And both pastors of those two churches said that the Lord was telling them to tell me to get into the ministry. And I'm like, no, that's not me. And when I finally submitted to that, again, I would not go back and change one day of those 19 years. It was the most wonderful time ever. Uh, but that, that season is, is gone for my wife and I, and now we just kind of help out in church here and there. But as far as being ministry leaders, uh, that, that time is gone for us. Uh, so that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, David, thank you very much, and thank you for your service. I, 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 there's special crowns waiting in heaven for those who will take God's littlest ones and nurture them uh, in the ways of the Lord. So God bless you and your wife, and I want to say amen to, to uh, husbands and wives or partners who are one flesh. It's not his ministry and her ministry. God unites your hearts together. Very important. Hey, you're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. We've got 30 minutes left in this week is all we've got. We'd love to have your live calls and questions. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week, 340-9585. Let's go right back to the phones, uh, to Laverne, and talk with Crystal on line one. Crystal, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I just want to say I love your show. I listen to it on the way home every day from work. Um, bless your heart. My question, huh? I said bless your heart. My question has to do with um, um, incorporating, you know, Sabbath into um, our everyday life um, from a, uh, you know, like a practical standpoint. I'm a working mom. I'm married. Um, I work full time. I work in San Antonio, live in Lavernia, and I'm involved in ministry and, and uh, Bible study, but I just struggle with really incorporating the soul rest that I feel like I need. And I mm-hmm. just wanted to see if you had any advice um, for those of us out there like me. And um, thank you. I'll listen to your answer off the, off the, on the air. Thank you very much, Crystal. God bless. I, I do have some, some help, at least I hope help and encouragement for you. You know, Crystal, one of the things that I do every year, uh, we've talked about it not too, uh, too far past in, uh, uh, on the program, when Paul and I come from, back from vacation, because when we're on vacation, uh, I always say I go with open hands. Lord, these are all the things that you have uh, in my life right now. Uh, but maybe, just maybe, some of those things aren't from you. They're things that I've taken on my own, and I'm trying to do in my own strength. Let me say, first of all, Crystal, that anything you do in the power of the Lord, you will never burn out. You might get tired physically, to be sure, uh, but but you'll never burn out. The, the cause of burnout are those things that we're doing uh, in our own strength. You know, some of us are just achievers. Some of us just always want to be involved. Some of us like to be problem fixers, and so we're always available, and it's a good thing. But in this idea of resting in the strength of the Lord, means that we have to have his strength in order to do those things. And so what I do on vacation, what I encourage you to do is just really sit down in your normal Bible reading. Uh, when, when you've got some time alone with the Lord, um, go through that process physically. Open your hands and say, Jesus, you know all the stuff that I'm doing. You know I don't feel that rest in my soul. So here's what I ask, Jesus. Take away from me anything that's not of you. And fill me with your power, with your spirit, to continue to do all the things that are of you. Or if you want to give me anything new, Lord, just make sure it's from you. And if we'll honestly and meditatively, and I don't mean that in an Eastern mysticism sense, 
but, but really, really dig into the Word of God and let the Lord speak to our hearts. Take a long walk with Jesus after you've been in the Word and, and ask Him these questions. And I think, Crystal, what you'll find is that there just may be some stuff that you're doing because it's a good thing to do or the right thing to do. But what you want to be sure is that it's the God thing to do. You know, I'm a, a, a really, really busy guy. Um, I, I, I've got a lot going on. My schedule is packed. And it's really important that I'm dishonest with the Lord, that I hold no ministry except that which he's given me. And sometimes we get involved in ministry. We like the responses we get. We like ministering to people. That's who we are as Christians. But sometimes God is something different for you or something better for you. Maybe there's a change in your life coming, a new season for ministry. You've always got to be in tune. And I promise you that when you are confident that what you're doing is just for Him, again, while you'll get physically tired, I don't want to make this appear naive, but you'll never burn out. And even when your body gets really tired, your soul will be refreshed because God, Acts 5.32 says, gives the Holy Spirit. The context there is in power to those who obey him. So that's, I think, a really, really important thing to do. Don't rest just because you're tired physically, but rest from the stuff that you've created for yourself, the work that you've created, and focus only on what he's created. Now, Crystal, one other thing, and you didn't ask this. I'm sure you're the greatest wife and mother ever, but there's nothing that God is going to ask you to do that will cause you to shortstop the ministry in your own home, first to your husband and then to your children. Husband's first, he's always first. Men, your wife is first, always first. My pastors know at any moment that their wives come complaining to me that they don't feel loved. My pastors are going to step down to make sure those corrections are made. So he's not going to ask you to do a bunch of stuff that's going to render you unable to minister at home for his glory. So your husband, your kids, the ministry, it's not a competition. It's simply I can do all things in the power of God, but without his power, there's nothing I can do. Crystal, I hope that helps, and thank you very, very much for your call. 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question that just came in from our email inbox. It deals with a uh, mature subject matter. Pastor Ron, what is the biblical definition of an intimate relationship with your spouse in a sexual sense? What are the boundaries? I have been invited to several parties, in quotes, that sell sexual aids, devices by people who profess to be Christians. I have zero desire to go and am praying for these people. Am I being judgmental? I don't want to do that, but it seems like videos and sex toys are not what God wants in a healthy marriage. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, anonymous, that the marriage bed is to remain undefiled or in a newer translation, pure. And what that means by definition is that you can't have anybody else in your bed, not physically, certainly. We understand that, but not mentally or emotionally either. If you're watching sex videos, then... Uh, you're you're inviting a, an unhealthy fantasy life into your bed, which defiles the bed. Your thoughts, your fantasies ought to be about your husband, your wife, and and uh, your your email doesn't indicate which you are. Uh, but I think the key is you said people who profess to be Christians. If somebody came to me and asked my blessing, and, and nobody would do anything like this at our church, uh, I'd find out and I'd stop it, but but typically people come to me and say, uh, I'm thinking about doing this. Is this okay with you? Uh, everything from a Bible study to, to, to other kinds of activities. If anybody ever came to me and said they were going to a party selling anything, let alone sexual aids and devices, I would say absolutely not. And I would ask them, what were you thinking? And whatever the excuse would be, I'd deal with that. But this is not godly. It's not what you want to do. Now, I also want to be clear. If you and your husband or you and your wife want to incorporate uh, devices into your marriage bed, it's just you and just him or just you and just her, uh, there's no biblical prohibition against that. Now, here's the most important thing I want to say to you. You have zero desire to go. Don't violate your conscience. 
If your husband and your wife want you to do these things and you're not on board, then don't do those things. If you're a woman and your husband says, well, I want to spice up our life and you have to submit to me. No, God would never submit as unto the Lord. Jesus would never ask you to do those kind of things. He would never ask you to violate your conscience. So these are things that you just need to stay away from. And I, I, again, I don't need a relationship with the people who are inviting you. But when somebody would come to me and say they're a Christian, invite me to a sex toy or a sex video party, I would ask them if you're saved. What are you thinking? Now, sex isn't supposed to be boring. It's wonderful. But it can only be wonderful when Jesus is there and he can't be there when you got all this filth. So, Anonymous, I'm sorry you're getting into this, but it, it just seems like people are all about the flesh sometimes. And we who are his are supposed to be all about him. So don't go. Keep praying for the people. Don't judge their hearts. But at the same time, it's easy to say what you're doing is wrong. And I'll be praying for you. Let the Lord use you as a help for them. So I hope that answers your question a little bit. Thank you for listening to the program. 340-9585. Here is a question again from uh, an anonymous question from our email inbox. And I don't know if this is a statement or what. Another reason Catholicism is a misguided religion. That's now colon. I can't believe the Pope has said that all hosts served to Catholics at communion must have gluten in it. What about those who suffer from celiac disease or gluten intolerance? Since Catholics must take the sacraments, must they suffer through it? God wouldn't want that. It puts the burden of trying in their own strength to conform to what they think God wants them to do. Um, you know, that's the least of the problems with Catholicism, Anonymous. But, but you're right. Here at our church, we switched to gluten-free uh, crackers a long time ago. Uh, and we did it just to be nice, just to be kind. Uh, it, it's not something that we we made a big issue of. It's not something that we did uh, and announced this is what we're doing. We did it because we have a whole bunch of men and women in our church who are, are gluten-free, uh, some with celiac disease, others who are just gluten intolerant. My wife is gluten intolerant. Uh, and so we made that switch. The only problem with our gluten-free crackers is you ought to be here on a communion Sunday. We had communion just two Sundays ago. And when when I say, let's partake together after talking about what the bread represents, everybody takes in, and you should hear how loud it is. I mean, it's crunchy and it's loud. But But we did it to be kind. So forget what the Pope has said. The Pope is not the vicar of God. He's not God's mouthpiece on earth. Um, there's a lot of false teaching in Catholicism. There's a lot of misplaced emphasis in Catholicism. That doesn't mean Catholics aren't Christian. Some are. Many, even most, are not. You have to be born again. And I would be a lot more concerned about the Pope and the Catholic Church's stance on that than I would about the crackers. But you have no obligation, if you go to a Catholic Church, to... Uh, suffer through uh, 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 the host with, with gluten in it. It doesn't become Jesus' body. It's a symbol. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. So there's a whole bunch of issues. But no, it's just being nice. Jesus is nice. And it's just being nice to make sure that nobody has to suffer. Going to the table of the Lord ought to be one of the really great privileges in our life. So thank you for the question. I hope that helps a little bit. Here's a difficult question, a hard one for me, another anonymous one. Uh, Pastor Ron, I had an abortion five years ago and can't get over what I've done. I got saved two years ago. Will I see my baby in heaven and will my child be angry with me? Anonymous, I want to, from the depth of my heart, pray that you're going to hear this, okay? The abortion you had five years ago no longer counts against you. You need to get over it because God's gotten over it. If you confess your sins, you're forgiven. If you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. I understand the enemy, how he works, and I understand regret. I really do. But Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you're living in condemnation. So God forgave you. 
you know, we say, well, I can't forgive myself. You don't have to. He did. So just by faith, the same faith that it required when you asked Jesus into your heart, that same faith, now apply it so that you can accept God's forgiveness. It's already done. Your sins, all of them, not just the abortion, all of them are as far from you as east is from west. So give yourself a break. Accept by faith the forgiveness of God. And rejoice that when you stand before the Lord, here's what he's going to say. All beautiful are you, my darling. There's no fault in you. You're perfect. Enter into the joy and the rest of your Lord. Now, you will see your baby in heaven. I don't know that he or she will be uh, infant in form. We don't have that information that's given to us. But there is no way your child will be angry with you. There's no way that you have to. Be, you will be embarrassed. You see, when we take on our new bodies, when we're in the presence of the Lord, there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no suffering, there's no crying. You will be so thrilled to see your child. You will be so blessed. And I can almost now, Anonymous, see the smile on Jesus' face as he supervises sort of that reunion. Your baby will not say, why did you do this to me? Your baby will say something probably really profound like, Mom. <laughs> so rejoice. That's the fullness of the work that God has provided for us. That's the fullness of the work that he accomplished on the cross for you. Just because he loved you, there's no other reason. Anonymous, if you uh, need any help with this, um, uh, we've had a lot of ladies who have uh, struggled over this very same issue. Uh, so if you need help and uh, there is no help or you don't want to talk to anybody at church about it, um, we'll get somebody to help you. Just let us know. You you know how to email us and get in contact with us. We'll do what we can. We don't want you to suffer over something that God has completely forgiven and completely forgotten. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Travis. Sorry, Travis, this question's a few days old, but we've had lots of questions and calls coming in last couple of days. So Travis says, how can I witness to my homosexual friend without them thinking that I'm being hateful? Uh, Travis, you know you're not hateful. Jesus knows you're not hateful. So don't worry about what they think. You know, we have to stop worrying about what other people think. The only thing we need to worry about is the condition of our heart a heart that is completely open and exposed to God. So the way you witness to them isn't to condemn their sin. The way you witness to them is tell them that Jesus has so much more for them. Witness to them by telling them that Jesus loves them, that he died on the cross for their sins, for all of their sins, not just that sin, but for all of their sins. And if they call you a homophobe, if they get angry, if they think you're being hateful or judgmental, you know, sometimes we just got to get over that. Our, thin can't, our skin can't be so thin that what other people think or what they have to say to us causes us to stop sharing. You've got, because you love them, you've got to tell them the truth in love. And the truth is, according to Galatians 5, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that they're living in a lifestyle where they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I would tell my friend, I would simply say, you know, I can't imagine heaven without you. I love you, and I can't imagine heaven without you, but you're making lifestyle choices that would condemn you to hell forever. You need to hear about Jesus. If they want to hear, great. If they don't want to hear, well, that's the decision they made, and you can find somebody else to go witness to. You can't convince them. Only the Spirit of God can. For all of us as Christians... You know, we live in a world now that is at war with what the Bible teaches, a world that's literally at war with God. Now, they like to couch it in other terms. No, this is the way God made me, and he wants me to be happy. Um, we've got to toughen up. We've got a message of hope, a message of correction. We've got a message of love to carry. And unless we are committed to telling the truth in love, no matter how somebody responds to it, then we're going to miss a lot of opportunities to make the most of every opportunity of the King James's redeeming the time that Paul and I talked about on the program here yesterday. 
So, Travis, share Jesus. Share Jesus. Don't focus on their homosexuality. In most cases, they will focus on it, and you won't have to. So, hope that helps. 340-9585, another anonymous uh, email from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I recently found out that my husband has been looking at and seeking other women. I have chosen not to be intimate with him. We are both believers. Am I okay with not being intimate with him? I'm hurting. Uh, anonymous, ooh, you're not going to like what I have to say, but no, the answer is no. Withholding uh, your body uh, is, is going to be fuel that allows your husband, not, not, doesn't make your husband right, so please don't misunderstand, but it allows him to rationalize, well, if she's not going to satisfy me sexually, then I have to go be satisfied sexually somewhere else. What you do is you share your pain with him. You tell him how he's hurt you. And then you offer your body to him. I hope this doesn't embarrass Paula, but I'm going to share this with you. You know, before I got saved, I was such a jerk, and God had Paula journaling all her prayers during those 13 years she was praying for me, especially the call those got to Jesus, the more intense those journals became. And Paula didn't want to have sex with me. I was such a jerk. She was so in love with Jesus. I so hated Jesus. And God simply asked her, Paula, since I love Ron, will you let me use you and your body to win him to me? And then she had a choice to make. Anonymous, the Bible says your body's not your own. You were bought with a price in this specific context of intimacy, sexual intimacy in marriage. He says your husband owns your body and you own your husband's body. I understand the pain. I understand the sense of betrayal. I know how real it is. But there's never any solution found in being disobedient to what the Word of God says. Now, don't let him do a bunch of things that he's watching in videos or women that he's on the line with or exchanging, sexting with. But remember, you're doing it for Jesus. Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is one of those all things. And here's what I promise you, Anonymous. God will honor your sacrifice. If your husband strays, don't let it be your fault. At the same time, Jesus understands your pain. He will be with you. And all you need to do is draw near to him. And he'll make you feel whole again. Now, to the men listening in this audience, you can hear the pain in a question like this, in a comment like this. And these are the women that we've promised God that we would honor and cherish. It's our job to represent Jesus in our marriage. And when we do things like looking at pornography, when we're looking at other women, especially when it crosses into the line of seeking other women, how would you ever explain that to Jesus? And in this particular case, for you, Anonymous, if your husband isn't saved, that's what unbelievers do. Tragically, too many believers live their lives this way in secret, too. There are no secrets from God. You can't outrun him. You can't fool him. You can't make excuses to him. He always cuts through the junk. And he'll nail your heart if you don't obey. Then things are going to get really, really hard. So men, honor the vows you made to God. Period. I'll be praying for you, Anonymous, and I feel my heart hurts. Um, we have a lot of great stories of transformation and success in terms of, of God's will in similar situations. We'll be praying for you. I'd appreciate it if you would sort of keep us informed how you're doing. Um, I know you're hurting, and I'm sorry. Jesus is sorry. But it's still your job to be obedient. Oh, those are hard things. Three four zero night. I don't think we have time for calls anymore, so I'll just go to the next question. Um, it's an interesting question from Hank. How should a church choose a new pastor 
when the old pastor resigns or dies? Should it be by vote? Uh, Hank, it should never be by vote. Not ever. Uh, if you have objections to the choice of a new pastor, then you need to, to, to go to the, the elders of the church or those who are selecting the pastor uh, and, 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 and honestly and lovingly uh, share your concerns. Um, but a pastor is chosen by God, not by men. When it's time for me to step down, uh, we have the man that God has brought and put in a position to take over. And when I get ready to leave, I'll say, it's time, and this is the man you all know God has chosen, uh, and the body here who loves him and will follow him and serve him and be loyal just as they were to me, will do so, and he'll take this church to bigger and greater places than I ever could have. But a search committee, and I know that's how denominations do it, sometimes mega churches do it, but these are the kind of things that ought to be settled in prayer, in deep, deep communion with God, because he has exactly the right man to take over a church. Hard times, you get used to hearing a voice, and suddenly there's going to be a new one. And in all likelihood, he's going to make some decisions that your old pastor wouldn't have. But if this is the church God has called you to, be there and support him. Be there for him. Well, we've finished another week on the program. I want to remind you, uh, go to church on Sunday and be used by God to serve others. Don't expect to be ministered to, but be the minister to the people that God loves. He loves you. Tell everybody how much he loves you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.